Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Joe Novak. Um, I have been serving here for almost two years, well, a year and a half now, um, and I'm really excited to be here uh, before you guys talking about our discipleship pathway. Um, so I want to tell you guys, Mission View Church wants to see every person knowing God, knowing others, growing in the relationship with Jesus, growing in the relationship with others, and going in the power of the Holy Spirit with others. That, Mission View Church, is our kind of discipleship pathway. It's, uh, you know, if, if uh, companies have like those slogans, those mantras, this is kind of ours. This is what we do. This is what every single ministry at Mission View Church does, right? So every, every ministry does this, whether it's the worship band, whether it's the children's ministry back there, the tech team serving, um, they're, they're doing all of these things, or at least playing a part in all of these things. Pulpit ministry, what we're doing right now, me preaching, and you guys learning and growing. Um, this is all part of our, our uh, discipleship pathway, right? So all these ministries work together so that we can all know God, know others, we can continue growing in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others, and we can continue going in the power of the Holy Spirit with others. That is what Mission View Church does, and that's what we do, right? We, we are uh, people following Jesus, and we have one job, and it's to make disciples, and th that's how we do it, right? So I remember before I came to Mission View Church, uh, I actually sat down with the elders. It was an interview, and they just asked me, you know, you're applying for this discipleship pastor role. They said, well, where do you see discipleship happening in the church today, right, the American church? Where does it happen? And I said, well, it's supposed to happen absolutely everywhere, everywhere. Discipleship doesn't just happen in community groups. It doesn't just happen from a pulpit and a pastor teaching. It doesn't just happen in a classroom. It doesn't just happen uh, on, the, on the, you know, it happens on the tech team. It happens on the setup and teardown team. As, as people are walking alongside each other and rubbing shoulders, we are pursuing Jesus together. So it literally happens everywhere. And so after the elders uh, asked me to come and join the team, they said, okay, well, what are you going to do uh, when you come? What, what does a one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministry look like? We want you to start one. I said, okay, well, here's kind of how I think I would start it. And I, I developed a plan and, and presented it to them. They said, all right, let's do it. Um, and what, what we're, why they were asking for a one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministry, uh, why they wanted one here, is because we view ministry in... A ministry structure, I would say, in this funnel-type idea, okay? So at the top of the funnel, we have outreach, we have this service. It's, it's things that anyone can come to. Um, anyone in the world can come to our service. Anyone's invited, right? And not that our other things are exclusive or anything. They aren't exclusive. But uh, what I mean by that is um, when people show up to a church service, there isn't much asked of them. They can come here and just listen, right? And so, really, no one's going to feel super uncomfortable coming here. Or uh, when it's, um, let's say, the men's ministry does this thing called SSRT, right? And they go out and get breakfast. They do a little Bible study thing, real short Bible principle, and then they talk about it. It's, it's quite open. You can invite a non-Christian to that. That's kind of the top-of-the-funnel ministry structure. Um, that's the way all our ministries are kind of organized. And then you work your way down into community groups. Community groups are more of a, okay, come, 
we're going to do life together. We're going to ask you to pray sometimes. We're going we're gonna to ask you to be vulnerable with these people. We're going to live life with one another. We're going to pray for one another. So community groups are kind of like mid-level funnel, if you would say. And then down at the very bottom of the funnel, we're working our way down top, outreach, right? Those things that every, any ministry, anyone can come to, mid-level is kind of community groups. Down at the very bottom is what I would kind of call one-on-one discipleship. Now it's one-on-one, you're sitting down with one person, and when that person is pouring into you, teaching you, when, when the other person is receiving these things um, and learning, um, there's also accountability and vulnerability that happens way beyond a group setting, okay? So that's kind of the ministry structure here that we have at Mission View so that you guys know that. The elders talk about this all the time. Uh, most churches always kind of talk about it. So we can have this kind of funnel where we bring people into a deeper, more intimate relationship both with God and with others, all right? So I can stand up here and talk about one-on-one discipleship probably for a whole hour. I'm not going to do that for you. But what I want to invite you to see uh, is what one-on-one discipleship has been doing in this church already. We actually launched kind of like a beta pilot pilot program of one-on-one discipleship back in January. And it's kind of been running behind the scenes. And I just invite you to check out this video. My name is uh, Julie Jacobs, and I came to Mission View from Maranatha. I have been in the one-on-one discipleship since February of 2021. Sherry Akali is my discipler. When I was first invited into the discipleship, mixed emotions. Excited because I wanted to do it and I needed to do it, but I was afraid. I relate it to skydiving. That's something I've always wanted to do, so I would be excited and fearful. What really made me decide to do it was God, like, hit me over the head. I was reading uh, Proverbs 22.12 in the Amplified, and it says, The lazy person manufactures, I'm going to cry, manufactures excuses, and they say, There's a lion outside, and I will be killed if I go outside. I had holed up during COVID and became like a hermit. And God used that verse. He's like, Julie, you got to get out of your rut. You can't blame everything on COVID. Discipleship has helped my relationship with Jesus just to show me how far away I've gotten. I've just lost my passion. I've just become complacent. And when I see the prophecy that was fulfilled, how much he loves me, what he did for me, what he did for everybody, that just brings me back to rely on him and to be aware of his presence all the time and what he did for me. Something that I learned that's new is that it does take time. A relationship, any relationship takes time. And if you don't have a good vertical relationship, you're not going to have good horizontal relationships and I just have to set the time aside to do it and praying in the car on the way to work is not enough I have to be in the word my first reaction when Sherry told me that I would eventually be discipling someone else kind of freaked me out (laughs) I wasn't really prepared for that but that's why I'm doing this and we're going through it very slowly so I know with God's help in the Bible I will eventually be prepared to do it. If uh, anyone is uh, considering doing the one-on-one discipleship, I would highly recommend it. It really has helped me grow 
It's helped me come out of my shell. It's helped me get in the word because I like writing it and speaking it. And you get one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what I like because I'm too shy to ask questions in a group. I get intimidated. What if it's a dumb question? What if they already all know the answer? So the one-on-one -on -one has really helped me. So I would highly recommend it. All right, well... These videos get me pumped. I love this. I love this ministry. I'm excited about it. Um, and if, you, if, if this gets you pumped, uh, we have the longer version of these videos on our website. If you go to missionviewchurch.org, you hit click ministries and go all the way down to one-on-one -on -one discipleship. There's a couple longer versions. The one last week has a longer version too. So go check them out. Uh, it'll, it gets me pumped up and I think it will get you pumped up too. If you want to talk more about one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you can meet me in the back. Uh, I'll have a table sign-ups if anyone wants to be discipled, um, all are back there. So, with that, let's get to the Word, because we got to study. we got, we got to study and, and learn and grow and figure out how we can do this together as a church. So, in our world today, there is this desperation for growth. We want to grow a more robust economy. This, we talk about this all the time on the news. We want to grow in our understanding of the world. We all want to learn cross-culturally who people are and all of that. Individually, there are many of us who want to grow too. I know I would like to grow stronger so that when I play with my toddler, I, I'm not always as sore when I'm done and going to bed at night. Um, I want to grow my skills as a pastor so that I can better serve uh, you guys, Mission View Church, and the kingdom of God. And we all want to grow to be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better, better, mother, mother, I'm sorry, better mothers, better daughters, better sons, employees, students, and friends. We all want to grow. This is a very common thing in our world today. So the question is, how do we grow? Everyone has their ideas on how to grow. People who want to get stronger all have different ideas on how to exercise and diet. You can buy a good, any book, book after book, on how to be a better spouse. Psychologists have ideas on how you can grow uh, all the time. Emotional coaches have ideas on how to grow more in tune with your emotions. Grow, 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 grow. Grow is a huge ministry and actually a big thing and almost like a business today. It's everywhere. We have books, websites, companies, and more are all founded on helping people grow. So I hear a lot of pe people asking the question, well, Joe, how do I grow? How do I grow? How do I grow at Mission View Church? How do I grow? But what I don't hear a lot of people asking is how does God grow me? That's a more interesting question. So it's natural for us to all desire growth and deep growth. And if we, if we want to grow, the question is how? How does God grow me? Well, the good news is that God's told us how we can do that. Um, so I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as, uh, as we learn and open up our Bibles there, I want to tell you, today we're going to learn from God's Word this one thing. Well, yeah, mainly this one thing. The, the will of God for you is to grow, which is a two-person job in the church. The will of God for you is to grow, which is a two-person job in the church. Let's pray before we read 1 Thessalonians 4. Lord God, thank you that you've given us a path to grow, a path where we get to know you, where we get to grow deeper in a relationship with you. 
and ultimately work alongside your spirit for your kingdom. Lord God, as we study in Thessalonians and other places in your word, teach our hearts. Remind us that we are not there yet. Remind us that we have not achieved perfection. Remind us that that we need you in order to do this well. That we're desperately longing to grow and to be better than we are here today. So Lord, as we study, uh, teach us and lead us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's it. The will of God for you is to grow. That's point number one. The will of God for you is is to grow. You see, the Thessalonians, uh, what, what I find interesting about this church is that they are quite different than the Corinthians. We just went through a long series on the Corinthians, and I'm just reminded, the Corinthians are not good Christians, right? It's like they're doing this wrong, they're doing this wrong, they're doing this wrong, they're doing this wrong. Well, I feel like the Thessalonians, as you read them, you don't hear Paul smacking them in the face as much, right? Paul's not coming at them and saying, oh, you're doing this wrong. He's like, okay, you're doing, you're doing this pretty well. I'm glad you're listening to my instructions. And then he, they start a- asking more questions. And as they ask more questions, he starts explaining to them. It's, it's quite different experience to study Thessalonians than it is to study the Corinthians. So it's very interesting to me that what Paul then points out to them, he says, well, if you're trying to figure out what the will of God for your life is, it's actually your sanctification. Now, this is a massive word, and we need to talk about it a little bit, okay? So I actually have a handy-dandy chart that's going to come up on the screen behind me. Uh, This chart kind of shows us what the process of sanctification is like, okay? So before you're a Christian, it starts there. Before you're a Christian, you are a slave to sin. This is straight out of Romans chapter 6, if you want to study it. You're a slave to sin, but then after you convert or become a Christian, you are saved, and you have that kind of moment where you surrender to the gospel and surrender your life and submit to God leading your life. Then you become a Christian, and now you're a slave to righteousness. Right? So when that happens, it happens at some point in your life, you automatically shoot up. You see that vertical line right there where it says conversion number one? You shoot up and you have this instantaneous part of you where you're sanctified a little bit. There's not a whole lot of outward change that you see, but inwardly, now you have a new ruler. A new king is sitting on the throne of your life, and that's Jesus. Okay, that's that's that process, okay? Number two here, then you go, you have the Christian life, and it begins to kind of, you see the squiggly line? So this is the sanctification process. Last week we talked about no, that was salvation. This week we're talking about grow. How do we grow? Well, it's the sanctification process, right? And it's squiggly for a reason, because nobody grows perfectly. We all kind of dip. The rate of growth can decrease. The rate of growth can actually go below zero to a negative, and you might go down sometimes. But it always trends upward. 
That's kind of a, a general path for the sanctification process in the Christian life. Okay? So, lastly, when you die or when Jesus Christ returns, then your soul is ultimately glorified. Your soul goes to heaven and the sanctification process is no more. It's completed. The work of done. The work is done. And when Jesus Christ returns, you'll get a glorified body. And no more will we have to deal with sin. This is the sanctification process. Three steps. Before you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, the sanctification process begins and starts. And then once you die, or if Jesus Christ returns, ultimately you're glorified and it's complete, and the work is finished. So some denominations actually believe this slightly differently, okay? We believe that in this life now, before you die or before Jesus Christ returns, that it is impossible to be totally without sin. It is impossible for us to be perfect. This is kind of that already and not yet kingdom. There's a balance with that, right? We're already saved and destined for heaven, but not yet are we perfect. We still experience sin in our own lives. We still listen to our own flesh. We still submit to the world and Satan, the ruler of this world. There are occasions like that where we're, we're tempted to sin and we end up sinning. So not yet have we achieved perfection. That is actually impossible and we believe that today. Not yet. There are denominations that believe that you can be perfect. I won't list them, but one of them is like the prosperity gospel preachers. They say, you know, you can achieve this perfection today. All you have to do is give more to our church. No, that's not true. That is not how you achieve perfection. So a lot of times, I used to do college ministry, so I got this question all the time from young adults and college students. And now, I'm, now that I'm in adult ministry, I'm like, okay, you still get this question, maybe not as much, but you might even get this question a lot when people retire, and I, I've been quite surprised by it. I'm like, oh, when people retire, they ask the same question. Okay, very interesting. And you know what the question is? What do I do? What is the will of God for my life? What should I do now? People ask me this question all the time. Well, I want to give you a, an extremely tangible way to think through this, okay? Remember, our text in Thessalonians says, the will of God for your life is what? Sanctification. Your sanctification. So, are you considering a new job? Maybe you are. Are you trying to figure out what job you should do in your life? Probably, if, especially if you're younger, trying to figure out what's, what's your career. Right, so this specific one, I would ask the question, well, which one might be more challenging for you? What job might grow you closer to Jesus more? That's a good question to ask. And right there, you're tangibly trying to figure out what is the will of God for my life? Well, God wants you to grow, right? He wants your sanctification. So ask yourself, what job will grow me more? And go do that one. Tangible way to think through this. We can go through a list of tangible questions like that. Uh, one is probably good enough. You get the point. But let me also say this. This whole sanctification process is extremely uncomfortable. This is not going to be easy. I, I literally still remember my gym coach would tell me, uh, no pain, no gain, right? He was my tennis coach too. And he'd be like, no pain, no gain, keep going, you know, whatever. Uh, it hurts. It's true. 
a lot of times, uh, another one of the will of God phrases in the New Testament is actually suffering. He says the will of God for your life is that you suffer. That's another one, which is, it's a hard one to digest. But, but guys, growth, becoming more like Christ is going to be painful. And a lot of times, the painful things are the things that are going to grow you the most. Uh, a lot of my friends my age, I'm in my 30s, they have this tendency to change churches a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen this trend, but I, I saw it a lot in my friends. And frankly, I'm like not friends with half my friends five, ten years ago just because everyone's moving around all the time. I'm like, whoa, I can't even keep track. Where are you now? They jump around. Why am I bringing this up when we talk about growing and being uncomfortable? Well, it's because I'm noticing a trend, a big reason why a lot of these people are just switching churches and going like this all the time and here, there, there, there. It's because they don't want to grow. They're running from their pain. And it hurts me to watch them because ultimately they're just coming to the same painful point. They experience it. And then they go to another place. They come to the same painful point in a relationship. They experience it. And they run to another place. And they keep going to another place. And and the same problem keeps coming up at every church they start investing in. And every relationship they go to. And then God is not growing them because they're not submitting and working through that pain. So here's my encouragement to you as the discipleship pastor at Mission View Church. If someone says something from the pulpit and offends you, seek out redemption. Seek out, okay, understanding. How can I understand this that he's saying? Or if a community group leader or if one of your ministry leaders says something and and encourages you, go do this, or and you just feel like, oh, he said that to me? Here's the reality. Sometimes we have to speak the truth to us, to each other. We have to speak the truth, and yes, we have to do it in love. But remember, we can't do that perfectly. The in love portion is a bar set by Jesus Christ, and it is so high. It is hard for ministry leaders and people who love you to, to achieve that, achieve that love, loving communication when they want to speak the truth in love. So when people are speaking the truth to you, and you feel like it's not in love, I would encourage you to seek grace and forgiveness. I would encourage you to seek understanding. Don't walk away from that relationship frustrated and angry. Try to figure out, why is this person saying this to me? Try to build up that relationship. You know, there's tons of Proverbs that say, a wound from a friend is is one of the best things. I can't remember, it's a paraphrase, but... um, That's probably what's going on there. That friend is trying to encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you just run, you're probably never going to work through that growth step. You need to grow through that, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be uncomfortable. So my challenge to you is to, to work through that. Get through it. All right. Point number two. Growth is a two person job. Growth is a two-person job. 
the first person who does the job of growth in you is actually God. God is the one who grows you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God is the one responsible for your growth. God is the one who grows you. He's going to do this work in you. How does he do it? How does he do it? That's a very important question. Well, it's the obvious one. It's Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Every sin you have committed in your life, every sin you've committed in the past, every sin you're going to commit today, every sin that you're going to commit in the future, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, nailed to it both feet and hands. When he was on that cross, he felt every single sin that you are going to commit and have committed. Think about that. He sacrificed himself to cleanse you from those sins. And then when he resurrected from the dead, he got his glorified body. And all those sins are washed clean and defeated. And your slate is clean in the eyes of God. See, that truth is the salvation that brought you here to worship him. That truth is the salvation that uh, you deeply needed. That truth is the salvation that you did not deserve. But through that salvation, it constantly works itself out in your life. And in your life, you are now growing. Now, the second person who does the work of growth is actually you. You have a part to play. Yes, God is responsible and probably ultimately responsible, but you have a part to play in this growing process. This week, my wife and I were actually on a walk, um, and we're walking, and I was exp- she asked me, you know, how's work going? How's, you know, she knew I was preaching this Sunday. And I just straight up told her, I said, you know, it's been a little, a little rough. I felt like spiritually I've kind of eh, slowed down my growth, maybe even went a little negative this summer. And I felt that when I was preparing this sermon, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm struggling. It's not coming out of me like it usually does. The Holy Spirit just works. And, you know, I was explaining to her I was struggling And guess what I started doing right after that? I started telling her excuse after excuse after excuse of why I was struggling. And she, like a loving, gracious wife, said, you can't make those excuses, Joe. That is not the reason you're struggling. And I'm like, oh, that hurts. (laughs) It was painful for her to say, I was like, Jen, can't you just be empathetic? (laughs) And I'm a little frustrated trying to defend myself. But then I realized, oh my gosh, God, you know exactly what I needed. The Holy Spirit was prompting me in my heart to realize my wife is right. I can't can't make excuses for all these things that haven't gone right this summer in my own sanctification journey. I can't make excuses for that because I have a part to play too. You're right. I haven't been listening to the Spirit as much as I should be. I haven't been diving into the Word as much as I usually am and hungry for that. Sure, we had a baby. That could be an excuse, but it's not. 
You see, your job in the sanctification journey is important, and it's an active job. You have to kind of do something, right? For salvation, we preach all the time. You don't have to do anything for salvation because salvation is a work of Jesus Christ the Lord. But for sanctification, you have to actively do it, right? Philippians 2, 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to work this out of you. Right? Salvation has already happened. You've received the Holy Spirit. Now it's in your soul, and your soul is destined for heaven. But in the sanctification process, you got to work it out. You got to put your mind to it. You got to put your heart to it. You got to put your hands to it. You got to work it out. You see, the sanctification process is a work of salvation, they're interconnected completely. And the Holy Spirit is a tremendous piece of God that really brings you to, okay, the Holy Spirit teaches you how to do this. He's prompting you. He's with you. He's not trying to let you do this on your own. Yes, you have a responsibility in this and you have a job in this, but he's there to do it with you. But the question is, how do I actively submit to the Spirit? How do I actively obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit? How do I actively work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Well, I want to introduce to you the spiritual principle that I like to call uh, put off, put on. The put off, put on principle. This comes from pretty much the New Testament, but Colossians is where I find the most detailed description of this put off, put on principle. I want to read to you Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Paul says to the Colossians, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. You see, we're supposed to put off a lot of things. The Spirit is going to tell us when we have to put these things off. So what are we supposed to put off? We're supposed to put off what is earthly, put off sexual immorality, put off impurity, put off passion, put off evil desire, put off covetousness, put off idolatry, put off anger, put off wrath, put off malice, slander, put off obscene talk from your mouth, put off lies to your brothers, and put off the old self. That is a massively difficult list. You cannot do this alone, but man, do you have a part to play. I was thinking about anger. I'm like... There's, there's no way you can just put off anger in your heart. Yeah, this is a hard one. You see, our bodies and souls are also not meant to be empty and void. We can't just put things off. Because if we put things off, put off our behaviors, who are we? How do we behave? We've lost ourselves. How do we wake up in the morning if all we've done is put things off and not do this? Right? We have to not do these things, but then what do we do? That's why it's put off. Now, what do we put on? 
So in Colossians, the verse continues, starting in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what are we supposed to put on? Well, here's another massive list. We put off those things that we're not supposed to do, and we put on what? We put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, put on bearing one another's complaints, put on forgiveness, put on love, put on perfect harmony, put on the peace of Christ, put on thankfulness for one another, put on the word of Christ, put on the teaching of one another, Put on the admonishing of one another. Put on wisdom. Put on singing spiritual songs with one another. And put on thankfulness to God. Also, a massive list. At the end of all that, it was very interesting to me that it says, um, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is important. Because anything that we can take pride in in ourselves that we do for the work of the Lord, well, that's ultimately sin. Anything we do, we have to say and give credit to God and to God's kingdom. That God is the one controlling us and leading us to do these things. It's not us. This put on or put off, put on principle is everywhere everywhere in the New Testament. But here's the reality. Think of yourself as an individual. Yes, you have a part to play, but no, you don't do this alone. You do it with God. And then ultimately, in the New Testament, we see this everywhere. You're going to grow within the local church. You don't do this by yourself. You have to grow in the local church. You put off and put on things here with Mission View Church. You do this in your community group. In most places in the New Testament, if you go and look and read the stories in Acts and read the, you know, you can kind of infer stories from the Pauline epistles and Peter and James, you'll see that all these problems and issues and and people growing and changing, this happens within their church body. This happens with one another alongside one another. This does not happen while they're alone in the woods totally by themselves. It it just doesn't. The sanctification process is a corporate process. It's very important. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The encouragement from the author of Hebrews 
is that we meet together and we stir one another towards good works. We help each other grow. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt shared the entire list of the one another's. I made a document one time where I counted them. I remember it was somewhere in the 60s. There's like 60 places, 60 plus places in the New Testament where it says a one another passage, like confess one another, pray for one another, love one another. I know love one another is the most repeated one another in the New Testament. Love one another is the most repeated one another in the New Testament. The one another passages are everywhere in the New Testament. Everywhere. There's a growing trend of people, especially because of the pandemic today, that talk about, well, I'm not really part of a church. I just listen to fill in the blank on YouTube. I just listen to this sermon this Sunday, and that's good enough for me. I just listen to whoever, and that's, that's good. Well, I would have, you know, well, I think a big reason why people say that is because um, there are some tremendously spectacular and gifted teachers out there. And yes, we should listen to them on YouTube and all that. We should, because they are tremendously gifted teachers. But let me say this. A lot of people end up in that camp because they're like, I finally found the teacher that I love. I really learned from this guy. Okay, that might be true. But learning does not always equal growing. Just learning new things about God or learning new things from the word of God does not mean you're going to grow. And so what I always encourage the people that are telling me that, oh, I just listened to so-and-so on YouTube and instead of going to church or becoming a member of a church, it's like, okay, great, you're learning a lot and you're puffing up your head, but where are you practicing these things? Where are you going to put this faith into action? Where are you going to serve? Learning is not growing. If you disagree with me on this, okay, you probably don't because you're all here, but anyone online may be watching, I encourage you to go find a church and become a part of it. But if you disagree with me, let's just put on, let's talk about the put-on list. We just listed everything to put on. Let me ask you this question. How are you supposed to sing spiritual songs with one another if you don't go to church? How do you admonish another person if you aren't a member of a church? How do you teach another Christian if you're not a member of a church? You've got you to gotta be a member in order to teach in the, in the church. How do you live in perfect harmony with Christians if you aren't a member of a church? How can you be accountable as a Christian if you're not a member of a church? How can you be vulnerable if you're not a member of the church? The church offers accountability, it offers vulnerability, it offers places where you can put on all these things that you're told to put on. This is extremely important for you as a Christian. So here's my challenge to you today. My challenge is that I want all of you to actively get involved here at Mission View Church, if you're not already. Get involved. Find maybe a place to serve, find a place to to give, find a place for you that fits your gifts. And there's four ways I want to specifically tell you that you guys can get involved. One is join a community group. Community groups start next week, um, September 12th, the week of that, that's September 12th, which is really exciting. There is still time to sign up. So sign up for a community group. You can do that at missionviewchurch.org. 
If you don't know how to go to missionviewchurch.org, you can check out the welcome desk. They'll help you. Um, become a member of Mission View Church, okay? That's another way that you can get involved. If you haven't gone through the membership process, Pat, Pastor Matt has done a tremendous job developing that process, getting people involved, getting people in. Go through that process. I'd encourage you. Um, we just had a membership class. The next one will be sometime in the spring. Use your gifts and find somewhere to serve, okay? There's the setup and teardown team. If talking to people freaks you out, you know, ask the deacons, ask the welcome table, where can I serve? There's a spot on our website where we're asking for volunteers all the time. Come serve. And lastly, you can be discipled. Come be a part of the one-on-one discipleship ministry. Sign up to be, be discipled because guess what? That's going to help you get involved. Like I said, it's the deepest part of the funnel where we will go into your, we'll help you grow. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of life and what you're doing and your relationship with Jesus, and it's going to be so good for you. And it's one-on-one, just like Julie talked about in the video. You know, she said, sometimes groups are intimidating, and it can be. But one-on-one, guess what? You can't hide there, and it's good. It is so, so good. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Just, just go through it. It's going to be good. Now, if you've learned nothing at all today, I want you to learn this. The will of God for you is to grow. Grow in your relationship with Jesus, which is a two-person job in the local church. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you have planned this process of sanctification for us. It's crazy for me to think that you're in control of my life enough that you knew that this summer might not have been the greatest summer of growth, but you love me anyway. I thank you for that. I pray for Mission View Church and all the people here this morning that if anyone is feeling in that place where they're just struggling to grow and maybe afraid, maybe has it, have experienced pain and doesn't like pain in dealing with that, Lord God, give them comfort. Remind them that this process is there because you love them. Remind them that this process is there because you are the redeemer of our souls and our lives. That our behavior matters and that you care about us enough to get into the weeds and details of our life. That when we uh, begin to change and grow, that you're the one ultimately doing it and growing us. We ask, Lord, that you, you lead us and guide us. And as we turn to you in worship, we remember how good you are. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.